Okay, so hello and welcome to our third edition of Understanding Yoga Studies. Um, my name is Vicky Adnall. I'm an MA student here at SOAS and a member of the Centre of Yoga Studies. Today we're looking at the discipline of modern history in relation to the study of yoga and I'm really thrilled to be joined by Dr Suzanne Newcomb. Suzanne is a senior lecturer in religious studies at the Open University, where she researches modern yoga from a sociological and social historical perspective. She is also director of Inform, a registered charity based out of King's College London that researches and provides information on new and minority religions and spiritualities. Um, originally from Kansas in the US, religion became the focus of Suzanne's study whilst an undergraduate at Amherst College in Massachusetts. She then completed the MSc in Religion and Contemporary Society in the Sociology Department of the London School of Economics. This was followed by a PhD in the Faculty of History at the University of Cambridge, where her research focused on the popularisation of yoga and Ayurvedic medicine in Britain. Between 2015 and 2020, Suzanne was part of a five-year project funded by the European Research Council entitled Medicine, Immortality and Moksha, Entangled Histories of Yoga, Ayurveda and Alchemy in South Asia. And in this period, she also published her first monograph, Yoga in Britain, followed by a co-edited volume, co-edited volume sorry, The Routledge Handbook of Yoga and Meditation Studies, which was published in 2021. Suzanne, it's a pleasure to have you here today. So thank you for joining us. Um, we're going to focus today on really, it's a, it's a discussion on the discipline of modern history within the field of yoga studies. So um, I'd like to start simply by just asking what that means to you and what the disciplinary framing of modern history means to yoga studies. Well, thank you very much for that lovely introduction and inviting me to be part of this discussion. Yeah, it was interesting that you you kind of went back into my history of where I'm from, my first degrees, and I think that actually has a lot to do with my fascination with modern history. Um, and so I guess if we if we start with why why am I framing it in terms of modern history and why why am I interested um, in modern history? It comes from a kind of perceived lack in my original education and I was very struck by how um, I, I loved American history and there was a point at which I was trying to decide if I was going to do American history as a master's degree and um, or sociology of religion um, and then we can get to that later but I, I chose sociology of religion but history fascinated me because we just kind of stopped at about the second world war and it was kind of like anything that America did after the second world war we just didn't talk about and um, and it was also the same thing about religion. You, you didn't talk about religion in school. And so these were kind of two huge elephants in American society that we just didn't have the knowledge of, the um, the skill in talking about in a complex um, and very diverse um, opinionated field, um, which, which was in my case, kind of turn of the century Kansas. Um, but it, it, it's the case in so many other things. And so at the time when I um, noticed that there was, um, there was something that should be known about yoga, there really wasn't much in terms of its modern history. There were a lot of practitioner narratives about its um, ancient origins in thousands of years ago in India. Um, and, and tentative links between these 
these ancient origins and contemporary practice, but nothing that actually described what happened in the last 20 years. How did this, this thing, which is now ordinary, something that your, your neighbor does, no one remarks on it, they go to a yoga class, how did that happen? Um, and that was basically my, my naive question. And, and that's kind of the question that drives me is like, how did this happen? How did, how did this become normal? Yeah, yeah. And probably one you're still asking. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that's, yeah, that's really interesting. And, and so, I mean, I don't think it was any different in the UK either, by the way. I think there's a bit of a bit of a gap from when your history education stops. Um, and in particular to yoga studies, why should we consider this sort of period or this period of modern history so important? And if I can add a question to that, what would you class as, as the modern history of yoga? What time period? Yeah, I mean, those are both good questions. Um, I I think about the modern time period as the, the kind of period of colonialism to the present, broadly understood. And I think that's an important marker because it is the time in which our categories of thought largely got set in a colonial context. So the categories of what is religious, what is not religious, um, and our current understandings of um, economic system, how the, the basis of kind of international capitalism and global trade. Um, and it's also the point at which these stories, which might have been more localized because of a relative lack of international exchange, which of course is 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 only relative. And when you when you have existent historical documents, you can challenge that. But but certainly there weren't the kind of there wasn't the kind of scale of international exchange of people and ideas as there was once you get into the colonial period. And that's also the point at which the the yoga story um, undeniably becomes a global story and a story about global interactions um, and global exchange of ideas of people of power imbalances of um, different ways of interrogating what what religion is what the sacred is what the meaning of human life is um, what we should do with our bodies that there's a kind of a new conversation from the colonial period to the present I, I think the other thing I wanted to say in response to that was of course when you're when you're doing a PhD especially in in Britain um, the the request is to really narrow down your dates quite specifically to get the source material into a manageable format. And so while I, I'm only exclusively interested, well, not exclusively, but pretty much interested in the modern period, most of my research has actually been from in the 20th century onwards. Um, and you would find difference depending on which periodization you look for. And there's a often those periodizations, they're always slightly arbitrary, but it, it, you need to make some limits in order to get some depth. Um, so there's, um, if, you, if you looked at the period just before it, in the colonial period, say my, my yoga in Britain is really kind of a, a post-colonial um, story by the most part. Um, if you were to look in more depth, the colonial period, which I think someone should do, um, I think you could tell a, a different nuance to the story of the transformations of yoga and the intercultural exchange between India, Britain and the Commonwealth, um, which, which was global. I mean, there is a global story there and there's an impact of colonialism on understandings of yoga traditions that has yet to be told in full. Not that it could ever be told in full, but 
there's a lot to do though in part <laughs> so it's a fruitful area to study yes and um, and just to I mean on on that it, I mean just to talk about your experience specifically you know we we've talked a little bit about how your background spans history and sociology and even you know some time at the London School of Economics so how do all of those disciplines play and how what skill sets have you picked up along the way and and is this sort of multidisciplinarity been helpful in your study of this modern period yeah it's it's really interesting and I was it was particularly interesting to be identified as kind of a modern historian of yoga studies which is is completely accurate but um I I've been labeled different disciplines in different contexts and I've been I've been called a uh, sociologist, religious studies scholar, um, more rarely a historian. Um, and I think that part of it comes from um, my background in liberal arts studies, um, which was which started out being very uh, multidisciplinary and, and explorative, um, and then coming into the idea of religious studies or studies of religion, because I found the way people make sense of their world and apply their beliefs and their practices um, to to particularly the contemporary world, but how they make choices about their lives, incredibly fascinating. Um, so, so again, the kind of naive questions, why, why do they do that? And um, religious studies is a, is a really strange um, uh, colonial construction perhaps um but it's also um really interesting in that you've got um the potential as an area studies you can you can use the best methods um to answer the question you're asking and so i've always been really interested in methodological clarity and rigor but also a certain amount of methodological flexibility so what what's your question and what are the best tools to answer that question um and so for the how, how did this happen it's often a historical uh, method um but other other things of what's going on here might be a more sociological method and those are the kind of two i've, I've been most trained in personally um but i love um economics as well in terms of like more, more popular economics and thinking about what, what are the economic ec- implications and um, pressures that have created the situation. I'm not very good about thinking about them, but it's another important area to consider. Um, so there's, there's lots of different ways. And I'm also fascinated by the way the disciplinary lenses, the methods we choose, construct what we can see and what we can't see. Um, and that's something I really tried to draw out in the Routledge handbook um, when we were looking at the different disciplinary constructions, because what you see as yoga is different if you're looking at arts than if you're looking at um, like cognitive neuroscience. Um, and I just find that absolutely fascinating. Definitely. I mean, that definitely came across in the handbook and the importance of perhaps having a few more dialogues between different disciplines on what yoga is and, and different periods of its its history. Um, in terms of your day-to-day work and your research, how do you then, with that sort of toolbox of methodologies and skills, how do you go about choosing what's appropriate? 
or is that too broad <laughs> does it really depend oh. on on what period you're well, it does, depend, it does depend on um, which which part of my day job. So, um, like the bulk of my, say, research career has been looking at historical sources. So, a lot of what I offer for academic conferences, say, it is very much kind of this modern history approach um, but another part of my day job is about inform which is thinking much more about the sociology of contemporary religion new religious movements um, groups um, which have an ideological focus that might push the boundaries of society or cause security concerns or cause harm to people's health and well-being in various ways and so um the emphasis there tends to be on kind of contemporary sociology of what's going on now. But part of that is placing things in comparative context and historical context. So understanding that, that say, ideas about um, health and well-being that are challenging government narratives on vac- mandatory vaccines or almost mandatory vaccines have a really long history, um, both in terms of anti-vax movements, but also in terms of um health and alternative medicine um and and even yoga history um so um and then there's kind of a third element which is teaching for the open university so often um we we're teaching for the open university has different levels when you're writing um course materials which might have a, a life of 10 years and are um both kind of course books and online materials and then there's also elements of providing lectures or or more responsive to current events um or expanding on those those more written materials more long duration materials and so when i'm thinking about what what methods are most appropriate in a teaching context it's much more about um it's, it's a much more collaborative discussion because we write in teams. And so it's about the theoretical and the subject points the whole team wants to make. And so I might delve into something that's not quite in my comfort zone or a, a kind of more tangential aspect to my main academic training, um, if that's the best way to address the teaching point, which I think is similar to most teachers. So you always have to be quite um, flexible. And make it relevant and uh, understandable, I guess, at any point. Um, I like the way that it's clear that your sort of work within Inform is connected to your historical work as well, in that there, there's a narrative there, there's a narrative behind what's happening today and, and the discourse that's in the public arena today. You know, it has a history as well, which I think sometimes isn't give, given much, much coverage. Um, I wanted to ask you, a little bit about um, working with archives in particular and some of the, what, how you approach that first of all, because there's obviously incredible archives, particularly here in London, actually, I'm slowly finding out. And there's obviously lots of challenges and opportunities to working with that kind of material. So I wondered how you approached it. Yeah, what you think some of those challenges and opportunities are. I, yeah, I really love archives. I'm a bit of an archive nerd. Um, and that probably hooked me into academic study to begin with, because my first kind of in-depth undergraduate dissertation, um, I, I got really into this um, 
fantastic construction in Western Kansas. But what really, really got me was the depth of newspapers from the turn of the century in Western Kansas. And the guy who built this concrete Garden of Eden was writing letters to the editor every week um, about his political views and what was going on in town and all, all sorts of things. So it's like this this incredible resource of understanding what what was going on in this man's head when he built this incredible um, outsider art structure. Um, and I love the I love libraries, I love the quiet of libraries and piecing together what's the inner logic of this this kind of discourse or this this body of um, body of material that people were saying in a, in a publication. What were the assumptions? Who is the audience? How how does it change over time? Um, and I just love that. Um, so so that's my my nerdy bit. Yeah, no, I, I completely get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I also really enjoy how different archives are. You never quite know what you're going to find. Um, and I would I guess for for people breaking out I mean obviously some of my favorite places to be are the British Library and the Wellcome Library just because they're really nice places to study um, they're really well organized archivists are helpful but I also encourage people to break out into um, asking the organizations and smaller people because from for my PhD and my monograph some of the funnest uh, most fun aspects were kind of seeing what was in people's closets um, and it's it's quite good fun when you get to bring those archives into the discussion that the kind of personal archives into discussions. So it was it was really satisfying when I went back to um, uh, the family home of um, Gerald York um, in between my PhD and the book, and I he, the family actually had two um, big filing cabinets of all the publishing records um and so it was it was really fun to talk to the family and to go through those and then i successfully got those taken in by the university of reading so that hopefully in some post-pandemic age other people can go through more of gerald york's correspondences and um work out more there's a lot about buddhism there um and the publishing decisions which switched um uh, Alan and Unwin from publishing theosophical kind of esoteric material to doing more world religions, um, practitioner, scholar, um, authored material, which happens. There's a, there's a particular letter from Gerald York about 1959, where he's kind of like, we're not going to do theosophy anymore. We're going to do <laughs> practitioners of meditation. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? How the archive of one person you can see like the impact that could have had because he was leading a publishing house. So it impacted what information was then disseminated to other. Yeah. Things. Yeah. So you, you find, find good gems like that or um, like the discovery of, of Yogini Sunita was, was also really exciting. And that was before newspapers were so digitized, um, which has transformed how, how you can do modern histories like Philip Dislop's work with digital, digitalized American newspaper um, archives is fantastic and just wasn't possible when I was doing my research because I still was working with microfilm and um, scrolling through things so that there's, there's potentially more more international modern history of yoga that can be done now that you can do kind of control finds yoga <laughs> <laughs> control and I mean I can imagine that as satisfying as the process is it can often have a lot of rabbit ho holes so <laughs> do you tend to like follow your instincts or what you know what's that process like because I can imagine getting very distracted <laughs> yes I think the um 
I think I'm a bit of a, um, I, I, I'm maybe if I have a weakness, I might tend to follow rabbit holes a bit too much. Um, I'm sure I have other weaknesses, um, but that, that, that would be one of them. Um, and I, I remember my PhD supervisor was saying, like, you have more than a magpie mind. Um, stop pulling in all these bits. Um, uh, and I think that kind of discipline and being clear about where you've had to draw boundaries for practical reasons. Um, these archives are accessible. They're well laid out. You can access them. But this whole other body of potential um, primary sources wasn't saved. It wasn't, or it is saved, but you can't access it. And and being clear about what choices you're making and how you're limiting, how, how either your your sources have been limited for you, or you're choosing to limit your sources to make it a manageable project that you can finish within your your given time frame. Um, we're always making choices like that in order to get through life and, and becoming more conscious of them and more um, uh, more able to articulate and understand the implications without feeling like you have to go down every rabbit hole. And you can leave some rabbit holes like just signposted for other people to follow. Yeah. And I was going to say, as a f- sort of fellow magpie, have you found that sometimes those rabbit holes have kind of come back to help you? just to keep the analogy going, but, but you know, have, have they come back to be useful at later times? When uh, Like I said um, before, for my my actual PhD, it was 19, I had to limit, I had to have time frame in the title, so I had to limit it from 1945 to 1980. Um, and then, but in trying to understand what happened before 1945, I did quite a lot on the first half of the 20th century, which didn't make it into the dissertation, but then I could put into the book. And likewise, um, for my sociological work, I've been going down rabbit holes of contemporary yoga groups and what happened in kind of the neoliberal post-Thatcher era in Britain and some of that made it into the book and now um like following up on that Gerald York archive I now have some really rich source material around the um publication of Light on Pranayama which was in that archive which I'm using for some future publications in the next year or two exciting um so it sounds like you've got an interesting project on Iengo in the pipeline. Um, but for the study of modern history of yoga in, in general, I mean, what does the, I feel like there's been quite a lot happening in this area over the last few years, but what does the future hold in your mind and, and what kinds of studies can you see emerging and what would you like or expect to see so there's starting to be growing studies of, of yoga in Latin America and in Spanish and Portuguese speaking areas in particular, and those both histories and contemporary practices. Um, so that's great, um, really to be welcomed. I think that um, there is more to be done, particularly with China and Africa. And um, there is that fantastic um, photograph in a recent exhibition at the Serpentine um, of some yoga in Acura. Um, I think it was, oh, and I don't have this to hand, um, uh, but it, it suggested that there was actually probably a much more rich history of modern yoga to be told in African, um, probably cosmopolitan areas, and that this this could be told in a possibly could be told in a, in a much more rich and nuanced way that would draw out the modernization of Africa in a way that hasn't often been acknowledged um, in, in both kind of mainstream history 
context we think about Europe too much um, but that would be a nice way of of um, broadening our understanding of global transmissions but now that we have lots of these local localized stories I think that um, the two 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 areas that I see kind of emerging one is um, I think we're in a better position now to reckon with the post-colonial legacies um, than we were when I started my research 20 years ago. So going back to the earlier colonial period or reflecting more explicitly on how colonial agendas, economics, um, concepts of thought shaped what people were doing with their bodies and with the traditions called yoga. I think there's more thinking and analysis to be done there. Um, And likewise, coming into the 21st century, I think it's almost too soon to get that kind of meta overview where you can understand, you can see the patterns and the major themes to create a narrative that is one of many narratives, but tells you something important and something different than your ordinary assumptions about what happened or the, the kind of sign on the wall marketing story. I think, I think yoga is very interesting around the category of religion and the limit assumptions and prejudices that that category of religion has and how those are played out in specific contexts. So I think one of the reasons why yoga studies has some legitimacy and, and a hold for future scholars is because of this disciplinary or theoretical um, prism of it can focus our attention in useful ways because it's on that bridge between a particular sectarian discourse and non-religiosity and bodily practices and ideology and it's it's smack dab in the middle of all of that which is a really interesting place to look at at this point in time and a final question would just be what your tips are for anybody that's interested in studying the modern history of yoga I mean, I guess there's two two things I would think about. Is one is that it's really in terms of future careers um, to follow your passion, but to be flexible, um, because academia is quite um, quite hard to find a, a kind of lucky conjunction of your skills and an available post. And then it's not necessarily um, the the kind of idealistic place that one imagines as a student. <laughs> and it depends a lot on luck um, as well as wor- working bloody hard. Um, so to, to think all the time about other other ways you can pursue your interests and your values and your and make use of your skills um, without having a, a necessary fixed path. And among that, I think that something I consciously tried to do, which worked fairly well for me, was position myself potentially across a few different disciplines um so i wound up getting position in religious studies but i was trying to position myself as also competent in sociology or history i don't think i ever could have been hired in a british history faculty possibly in an american but but i think that yoga studies gives a a good position to to get competency in a a variety of areas which can have different kinds of applications in, in the job market or in however you choose to use your, your attention in future. And I guess the final thing is to try to link your interests in yoga to broader issues that, that are challenging to society. Um, so, so issues that are of um, social welfare concerns in various ways tend to attract a lot more interest, a lot more funding, um, and are a lot more applicable in multiple contexts. That would be my advice. Very, very sound advice. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks for your time, Susanna. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. 